Stay standing for the reading of the word. Oh, and good morning, by the way. Good morning. Acts chapter 16 is our text for the morning, verses 16 through 26. Starting in verse 16, the word of God says this. We were going to the place of prayer where we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God. And I, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers and they brought them to the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, having ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And the jailer received this order. He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Praise God for the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the incredible word of God. Thank you for divine revelation that comes to us in the written word. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is already active and moving in the hearts and lives of everyone here who knows Jesus and you're just, you're just drawing out the truth to us. And Lord, we could say amen and be blessed and go home. But Lord, we thank you that you allow our church to sing together. So encouraging to sing together. Thank you for the victories that you bring about through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, King Jesus. Thank you for salvations. Thank you for saving people from their sins and, and moving people towards radical sacrifice of their life for the sake of the name of Christ. God, we're so humbled to be here. We lift up our service right now. We lift up all the churches that are preaching the gospel all over the city of Des Moines, surrounding areas, Lord, just all the places where preachers are preaching and, and, and believers are gathering. Oh God, would you please use the proclamation of your word to change people's lives. Lord, and may a massive movement of Christ be restored to this country. God, may revival happen in this country. May an awakening happen in this country. And oh God, we know that we are powerless to do that. So we get on our knees and we raise our hands and we say, oh God, be merciful to us. Do it by the power of your spirit for the glory of your son, Jesus. Lord, build up the saints this morning. Save those who are lost in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
So Acts 16 in your Bibles is where we're going to be this morning. And I just want to lead off this sermon by letting you know that at the end of every August, I preach two sermons in a row. Last three years I've done it. And we just preach the gospel for a couple weeks at church. So we finished Philippians. We're all done with Philippians. Great little letter. We're going to head into Romans. Come on now. We have to go to Romans. So excited and scared about Romans. But the two weeks in between, we always preach the gospel at the end of August. Why do we do that? We do that because school is coming. Can I get an amen? I mean, summer has been busy. We're all over the place. We're doing crazy stuff. Everybody's busy. And it's just a reset button for us at the end of every summer to just get to the gospel, refocus, and say, hey, church, just in case you forgot, this is what is most important over every other thing in your life. It's the gospel. Amen? So, you might think you're busy. All right? I think 99 out of 100 of you would say, super busy, busiest I've ever been. And I think technology ramps that up in our lives, don't you think? Like, because we make appointments and then we forget appointments and then Google reminds us of our appointments that we made. And we're like, oh yeah, I got to be at this place, do this thing. We got to go this, to go to the fair. I got to do all this stuff, get the kids ready for school. Here we go. School year starting. Job is this. Job is demanding. Here's all the things. I just want to encourage you. You're really busy. You're not busier than Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the throne room of God in his heavenly throne room at the right hand. You know what he's doing? He's busy right now. What's he doing? Interceding for us, praying for us. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Right now, Jesus is busy praying for you. Isn't that good? Man, we could, we could close service up right now. Jesus is praying for me. Hallelujah. And he is busy building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I just want to encourage you, you're not busier than Christ. And this gospel that you received, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You repent of your sins. You become a Christian. You don't know what all that means when you do that. I bet you I could get a hearty amen for everybody that Jesus has surprised you. Amen? Hasn't he surprised you? I got a lot more out of this Jesus thing than I thought I was getting. I thought I was just going to get to heaven and like a nice streamlined stairway to heaven. And all of a sudden your experience has been like, what is going on? This is my experience. I'm on a roller coaster. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what it's like when you believe in me. Deal with it. Right? That's sanctification. <laughs> Summarize the whole New Testament for you. Deal with it, you know? But we get busy, but when we receive Christ, we receive the gospel. And when we receive the gospel, that gospel is active. It pushes us to places. It leads us to places. Places that we would never want to go. Places that we would never want to choose to go to. All of a sudden, the gospel pushes us there. And all the things that we love in this culture, comfort, materialism, the gospel just pushes against that all the time and just pushes us and says, hey, you want to be a Christ follower? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yeah. 
The gospel is active. And that's the title of my sermon this morning. As we look at this passage, Paul and Silas planting a church in Philippi. We just got done with this Philippian series. So I thought, what a better way to bridge it than to see how this Philippian church got started. Let's look at the, the birth of the church at Philippi. And Paul and Silas are planting this church in Acts 16. They're starting it from nothing And they're doing it because God told them to. Paul received a Macedonian call in chapter 16, verse 9. He had a vision of a guy from Macedonia saying, come help us. And so he responded to that vision by going to Macedonia. And Philippi was a leading city in that region. And he goes down to Philippi. He and Silas go to a river outside of the city. And on that river, there is a circle of people, God-fearers. And as they sit down on the side of that river, on the bank, this is intimate house church, right? He's just sharing the gospel with this little circle of people. And God opens up the heart of a girl named Lydia. And she pays attention to what Paul's saying about Jesus. And she believes in Christ. And they lead her to Jesus on the side of the river. How awesome is that? Praise God, right? That's the beginning of the church at Philippi. And then they they lead her family to Christ. They probably think, Paul and Silas, cool experience. We led this family to Jesus. Smooth sailing from here on out. We're right on track. Right on track. Little did they know what was going to happen to them through the active gospel that they have inside of their hearts and that they're preaching and proclaiming. Little did they know what was about ready to happen to them. If Paul and Silas knew what was about ready to happen to them, they would have ran straight out of town as fast as their widow wags could carry them, right? They would have gotten out of there, man, because if they would have known the beating that was waiting for them, they would have gone. But Jesus doesn't tell us and doesn't tell them what's happening next. He just says, follow me right now, right? And so the gospel is active. Paul and and Silas are are preaching this gospel. And you know Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? The power of God unto salvation. When we're talking about the gospel, we're not just talking about facts, all right? Jesus lived a perfect life, died, buried, and was resurrected. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about taking that message in, right? This is the best and most powerful supernatural message that the world has ever known. Christ is risen from the dead. You best be believing in him. Amen. That's it. That's the power. Paul and Silas had internalized that. It's the dynamite of God. They also said in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter four, verse 12 says, the word of God is what? Living and active, active, active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Wow, the word of God does that? It tells you what you're thinking. It tells you what your motivations are. If you're having trouble like defining what your motivations are with a relationship or a situation, go to the book. Because the book will tell you what's up with you. The book will reveal it. Like a knife going through hot butter, it'll show you the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. This gospel, this Jesus that we believe in is not stagnant, static. This is dynamic. 
The gospel is at work in our hearts and in our lives. And if Jesus has saved you, isn't he at work in you right now? He's stirring inside of you right now. And all God's people said, amen, right? That's good. It's alive. It's living and active. And so this gospel, the big idea of the sermon in the text, is that this gospel of Jesus is active and it's always working in the world and in our lives. The gospel's always at work. Right now, the gospel is at work. Outside of you, inside of you, beyond Des Moines, Iowa. I know it's hard to believe that the gospel's working in other places. All over the world right now, the gospel is working. Isn't that cool? While you were sleeping, all right? It's more than just a Sandra Bullock movie. Praise God, right? The gospel was working, saving, driving. Like, what about Nepal? I just met with a pastor, Praben. He's a Nepalese pastor in our neighborhood. They have 100 people, Nepalese, worshiping Jesus in our neighborhood. How cool is that? Yesterday, I met with him for an hour and a half to just talk about Christ and see what kind of friendship we can develop together. And we, we had just a wonderful time having coffee. And I said, hey, tell me about the gospel right now in Nepal. Tell me about it. And he's like, pastor, the gospel's like lightning. The gospel's just moving so fast in our country. It's unbelievable. Like everywhere you look, you see people getting saved, trusting in Jesus. And I said, aren't Hindus like, like verbally and physically like threatening to Christians? He's like, oh yes, yeah. Like it's, it's like underground. He's like, but you would not believe how quickly the gospel is going. And then I asked him the follow-up question. I said, hey, what, what do you think about American Christianity? <laughs> and he said, oh, pastor. He said, it's so hard here because materialism is so strong and you have all the things you want. You have all the money you want. You have all the medicine and hospitals you want. You have all the therapists you want and counselors you want. Everybody has everything they want. So who needs God? He said, our Nepalese congregation is just like, it's very difficult to process American culture because Christianity is so in, embedded right in the middle of prosperity, right in the middle of materialism. And he said, I wish that, that the church could see what is happening in Nepal right now. Are you challenged by that? I was challenged by that, deeply challenged by that. And so you'll see that the gospel is active and it's moving and it's always working. And that's what Paul experienced in this chapter 16 as he planted the church at Philippi. He saw the gospel actively at work, probably more than he wanted to and in a surprising way. So there's three activities of the gospel that I'm going to give you this morning in this text of scripture. Three activities of the gospel. I hope they will build you up. I hope they make sense. And I hope that by the spirit of God, It'll move you and me to a different place of worshiping Christ. So the first activity of this gospel, this active gospel, is this. The gospel draws opposition. One thing that the gospel does is it draws in opposition. So in verses 16 through 18, they were going to the place of prayer. They were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and, they, and had brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So just starting in verse 16, Paul and Silas, it makes sense that they're going back to the place of prayer because that's where they had led Lydia to Christ. 
So it makes logical sense that if we led someone to the Lord there, we will go back to the religious place where people are gathering and they're God-fearing and we can share the gospel again. So they go back there and, and then they're met. See that word? They were met. We were met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination. So this is a, a girl who is a property of a conglomerate of men. And so there's, there's slavery going on. There's a group of men who own this woman going on. And, and she has the ability to tell the future by supernatural means. She is otherwise known as a fortune teller. So she can tell the future by spiritual means. And the word divination there in verse 16, it has, it has a lot of Greek mythology background. So that word is literally connected to a, a Pythian uh, serpent. It's kind of like this mystical Roman uh, Greek mythology type of idea. And the spirit of that paganism is inside of this woman. She has a spirit of paganism inside of her and it is real and it is powerful and it is very, very um, real to her as far as being effective. She's very good at what she does. So she is an oracle. Um, she's definitely connected to the spiritual realm and she is a moneymaker, right? It says that she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So the, the owners, they loved this woman because she was um, the, the money connection. She brought them a lot of money. She was very profitable because she was good at what she did and she was empowered by a pagan spirit. Are you following me? Now she is meeting Paul and Silas on their way to go make more disciples of Jesus. In the spiritual realm, I don't know if you know this, but spirits recognize spirits, right? Like that happens. And of course, if you read the Bible, there's evil spirits, there's good spirits, there's angels, there's demons, there's all of these things going on in the unseen realm that we can't see. And what's going on is that it's almost like this, this fortune teller lady, she can smell Jesus on these guys. You know? It's like in the unseen realm... She is latching on. There is something about Christ that Paul and Silas have that is causing me to magnetize myself to them and tell everybody, these are servants of the Most High God and they're telling you the way of salvation loudly and incessantly. Parents, parents, you know when your kids talk loudly and incessantly? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You can be like, hey, you got, a, you got a spirit of divination going on? Like you can start talking to your kids. Like, I think you got an evil spirit on you right now. Probably not, but it's just a spirit of annoyance. You know what that's like. I mean, if, if, if they did that for 15 minutes in your house, you are ready to get new kids, right? I'm turning you in. I'm getting a new pair, right, or something. Many days. Many days. This woman is following Paul and Silas around and she is proclaiming this message. These are servants of the most high God. They're telling you the way of salvation. Now, upon further review, that sounds really good, right? Hey, that's a good message. They're telling the truth. Like if I'm Paul and Silas, part of me thinks, yeah, man, you just keep going, lady. You keep announcing me to this pagan city. I need you to do that. But if you go underneath the surface, what she's doing is stealing the message. She was never commissioned to share the gospel. Paul was. 
She was not called by God to proclaim the message of salvation. Paul was. That was a very specific call in Paul's life to share the gospel. She was not commissioned to do that. So she's stealing the thunder of Paul and Silas walking through the city. And so for three days, I I just want to give a shout out to Paul. How patient is this guy, right? A lot of people think of Paul as quick, you know, quick-witted and and passionate. And he cuts cuts a very strict line. I, I think Paul's shown a lot of patience here. Three days, four days, five days a lot of days. But ultimately, what she is doing is she is opposing the message. She is opposing the message. Now, they had just led Lydia to Christ. They'd just gotten some momentum. All of a sudden, this active gospel is working. And you know what it's doing? It's drawing in opposition. Church, I just want to tell you this right now and right here. The more we preach the gospel, the more we share the gospel, the more opposition we will face. Okay? You in your life, the more you preach the gospel, the more you share the gospel, the more you live for Jesus, the more opposition you will face in your life. And you're like, pastor, I'm not experiencing any opposition right now. And I can tell you probably for some of you, you're not getting any opposition because Satan's not really worried about you. You you just never share. You're not really walking with God. You're not really walking with Jesus. You're kind of just filling a seat. You're kind of just doing casual Christianity. And I'm just telling you, that's the reality. The more you step away from comfortability, the more you step away from comfortable American Christianity, the more opposition you're going to face. Guaranteed. Because this is spiritual war that we are in. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly realms. Church, this is what we're called to. If you look at our culture right now, we are moving toward opposition to the gospel every day. Every day, more and more. And if you think you're going to escape this opposition, you are fooling yourself. You look at the next 10 years, the next 20 years of Christianity, and part of me gets freaked out by it because I'm like, man, I could suffer for Christ. Legitimately suffer for his name. And part of me gets really excited because it will be that very persecution that revives the church in America. Praise God. And I just want you to measure this out. If you think you get to believe in Jesus with no opposition for the rest of your life, get a clue. Wake up. We are in the middle of a spiritual war and the more we stand for the gospel, it, the gospel itself is active by itself. It will do all of these things. All we have to do is proclaim it. Let the gospel do the work and be ready for opposition. Okay? So they were opposed. That's activity number one. Have you been opposed lately? It's a good question. Activity number two is the gospel not only opposes or draws opposition, but it liberates and it irritates. (laughs) Does both. Verses 18 through 24, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to get out of her. And then the owners got upset and they, they brought him to the magistrates. The magistrates gave orders to attack Paul. They beat him with rods. Ouch. And they inflicted many blows on them and they put him in jail. Now, don't you just love the Bible? Paul being greatly annoyed. Hallelujah. We have an annoyed apostle. Very good. 
I've been annoyed as a pastor at times. And I'm like, is this sinful? Is this wrong? I'm annoyed. I feel annoyed. Well, maybe, maybe it is wrong, but Paul got annoyed. So I'll take that as my, uh, as my verse of defense, right? Paul can't take it anymore. He's dealt with this woman for days. He's not going to give grace anymore. He's going to call out this woman. And he doesn't really call out the woman. He calls out the spirit. Notice that? I command the spirit in the name of Jesus come out of her. Paul drops the name and the authority of Jesus. And in a moment, the power of Jesus' name pulls the demon out of this woman that very hour. Which shows us that Jesus has all authority in the spirit realm. He has all authority to do all things. Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? And then go be witnesses for me. What about in Philippians 2 where Pastor Chad preached a couple weeks ago? He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know who rules over spirits and demons and all those things? Jesus. What do you have to do? Say his name. Say his name. And spirits will flee. Evil spirits will flee at the name of Christ. So when the opposition comes, Jesus is the answer. And that woman was liberated that very hour. And I just want to encourage you, this is the gospel that we share. We share a liberating gospel. Amen? What are we telling people when we tell them the gospel? That they can be free. Free from what? Free from their sins. They can be free from all of the things that are in their minds, in their hearts, in their spirit. They can be free from all those things through Jesus. Because Christ said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? Now, what kind of, what kind of people get, can get free? Well, obviously a fortune teller. So we can praise God for a fortune teller coming to Jesus. What about prostitutes? Can they get set free? Yes, they can. What about drug addicts? Can they get set free? Yes, they can. What if you're, what if you're headlong into the sexual revolution of our day? Can you be set free by the blood and power of Jesus Christ? Yes, you can. What about slumlords? Can they be set free? Yes, they can. Sleazy businessmen, they can be set free by Christ. What about God-hating, secular, atheistic college professors? Are they outside of the reach of Jesus? No, they're, they're, they can be set free by Christ. What about the pompous, plastic, religious people like Iowans, you know? No offense, but I kind of offensive, yeah. Yes. What about suburban middle-class people? Really? Yeah, for reals. The gospel liberates because when Jesus gets a hold of somebody, the power of his name gets a hold of somebody, people get saved. Now, can Jesus save the people that you're most concerned about in your life right now? Can he save them? Yes, he can. What do you have to do? Say the name of Jesus. <laughs> you have to be obedient to share the gospel. That's your responsibility. Jesus will take care of the rest. Now, that's the liberation part. What about the irritation? The gospel irritates. Who does it irritate? The owners of the slaves. Because the owners look and they're like, our cash cow is gone. And if you start messing with the budgets of a very successful business, you're going to get eyes of flame, anger, passion, looking at you saying, your fault. 
You did this thing. This person now believes in Jesus and ruined my profit margins. Prepare to suffer. So these guys take, they take Paul and Silas, they drag him into the magistrates. The magistrates say, yep, this is a, this is a troublesome thing to our city and they have them beaten with rods. I doubt anybody's been beaten with rods in this sanctuary this morning. I have not. But to be beaten with rods is a very painful thing. It's the result of irritation. If you start messing with the world and the spirits of the world, and you start saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, they are going to respond in anger. Just yesterday, I was officiating a funeral in South Des Moines at a cemetery. Family was gathered around. And even as a preacher, every time I preach, I can see. I, can, I see more and more, more and more clearly as I get older, who's responding and who's not responding to the message. So I'm at a funeral. We're, we're going through testimonies, and then I share the gospel. And I can see some people are right with me. I mean, right with me. And they're tender. And I love preaching funerals because people are listening. They're listening. They're looking at the dash, born, dash, and they're thinking about their number, what you do with your life. And then there was few in the crowd yesterday that were looking at me with irritation. You can just tell. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to talk to me about life and death? Who are you to tell me what to do with my life? Who are you to tell me about Jesus? Who are you to tell me I'm living my own life? Why? I mean, I've been doing this for 14 years here at church. Why? Normally it's softness or it's anger, and there's not really much in between. And we have seen a lot of angry people hear the gospel and say, no one tells me what to do. And in fact, if you mess with my family or if my family member gets saved or somebody gets saved or believes in Jesus, I'm telling you what, there's going to be some things. I don't know. Those people who are a little bit more antagonistic to the gospel, that's okay. I, even yesterday, I, compassion in the eyes. I, I, I want to have compassion in my eyes towards those who are like, eh, gospel, eh, eh. And then you want to encourage those, the tender eyes. There was a lot of tender eyes there too. But people are like, hey, that was good. That was great. Thank you for that. God is working. God is moving. But it's the active gospel. You can guarantee, take it to the bank, that just as Paul experienced this liberation of the slave girl and the irritation of the owners, today there will be even more of that beyond a small little funeral and beyond just our church, beyond that, there is things going on in our world that reality pushes us to this, this reality that the gospel liberates and it irritates and it does both. And you got to be okay with that as a Christian. You have to be okay. Whatever happens to you as the rods call, fall on your back or the persecution you have to suffer for the name of Christ, you have to be okay with that because the gospel is in that as well. And the third activity that we see in this gospel account is the gospel sings. The gospel sings. So not only liberates and irritates, but it sings. Verse 25 and 26. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and the doors opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. 
At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and then singing hymns to God. Think about everything Paul and Silas had been through for the last 96 hours or so. They had They had met Lydia, they had led her to Christ, they had led her family to Christ, they had cast out the spirit of a fortune teller, they had been stalked around by that fortune teller for four or five days, they had cast out a demon, been thrown in jail, being beaten with rods, and here they are in a prison at midnight. I don't know about you, but I'm having the biggest pity party of all time. That's what I'm doing. I'm feeling pretty bad about myself. I do all this stuff for Jesus and look at this, I'm in a prison, I'm in a prison and it's dark and I'm sure it smelled like Roman smells, you know? I'm sure it wasn't great. And the, every fleshly temptation is to think, woe is me, look at this, look how I just do all these things I'd, for God. I do all these things for God and this is where I land. That's fleshly. That's natural. What are Paul and Silas doing? Singing. They're singing. And they've got an audience, man. Like all the prisoners were listening to them. So they had, a, they had an audience at midnight singing songs of praise to God. I wonder what songs they were singing. You know, like were they singing it as well? Wasn't written yet. Nope. Were they singing, yes, I will lift you high in the darkest? Nope, not written yet. Were they singing, your love is my jailbreak, I'm going free, like this morning? Uh, No. They're probably singing psalms. Probably singing ancient Old Testament songs. Wow. I don't know about you, but that is amazing to me. The active gospel at work in their lives, in their, in their darkest hour, the gospel came to Paul and Silas and said, sing, sing. The gospel gives joy in the darkest night. The gospel gives the ability to sing when you feel crushed, when the blood is dripping down your back and drying on a really hard cell, the gospel is what empowers you to sing in that moment. Supernatural, man. Active, powerful gospel of Jesus. And I just, I just want to inform you, right, that it's the singing that brought about the miracle. Singing was the victory. Singing brought the earthquake. Singing brought the jail cells opening. Singing made the fetters of the feet fall off. Singing did it. How ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Who would sing? And who thinks that singing is the solution in that moment of trial and tribulation? Nobody does except the gospel of Jesus tells us to sing the victory in. So I got to close with this because this is really amazing from my devotions this week. I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 on Monday, Monday morning, and I read about Jehoshaphat. Oh man, what a name, Jehoshaphat. If you don't know his story, read it. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He's a good king. He's a godly king. He loves the Lord. Not a perfect man, but he loves God. He's surrounded by enemies 
all around him from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of soldiers that surround Jerusalem and they're going to take Jerusalem down. Everybody's going to die or be taken into captivity. And Jehoshaphat obviously looks at the situation and he proclaims a fast and a prayer from the country. Say, everybody in the city, just please pray. And there's a famous verse in 2 Chronicles 20 where um, Jehoshaphat says to God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Pretty cool moment. What a, what a word. The next morning, he takes counsel with his uh, counselors and he sends out the singers. A hundred thousand soldiers ready to take your city down, burn it to the ground, and you send out the singers? That is dumb, man. But he chooses to send out the singers. And the singers go out in front of Israel's army, and this is what they sing in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. How ridiculous. How off the beaten trail this is. Singers are coming out to sing. And they're singing, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. There's a hundred plus thousand soldiers ready to kill all of you. Give thanks to the Lord. For his love endures forever. And they walk out by faith singing. And the next verse says, as, as they sang, God set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir and wiped them out. They wiped themselves out, actually. In all the confusion and the, and the noise and the singing and all the stuff, they, they ended up just killing each other. And God delivered the victory for Judah that day. Singing brings the victory in Jehoshaphat's day. Singing brings the victory in Paul and Silas's day. What brings the victory in 2022 for you in your life right now? In the darkness, in the confusion, in the trial, in the suffering, in the persecution, what brings the victory for you? Singing. And I don't care if you can sing a lick. You may be off key. You may be a terrible singer. Luckily, God does not care. <laughs> but church, we sing our way through our trials. Amen? Christians sing. And it sounds ridiculous and it seems ridiculous that we would worship God in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our trials. Why would we worship? Why would we sing? It makes no sense. We should go get a, you know, a financial advisor. We should go get a lot of counseling. We should go get this ministry and that ministry. We should go get this resource. We should do this. We should do that. And yet God just says, just sing to me and watch me do it. I'll do it. Watch me save you. Just sing. So church, the gospel is active and it leads us to sing. 
And that gospel, as we sing, Jesus sees every tear that we cry. He sees every single song that we sing. And he says, I'm here and I'll do it. Hebrews 11, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So as we close, I want you to consider this active gospel. It's actively at work all the time. It draws opposition. Yep, no doubt. We have our opponents. It also delivers and irritates, right? It liberates and it irritates. Does that too? But it also sings. So I want you to think about what darkness, what jail, what cell, what trial, what tribulation, what difficulty you're going through right now, like right now. What healing you need physically, spiritually. I want you to think through those things now. And then I want you to sing to God. All right? I want you to sing to God. We're going to sing this song. I mean, just sing with all your hearts because the victory comes when we worship. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word from Acts 16. Thank you for this active gospel. Oh, God, we need you so much. I remember seven years ago at this church, Lord, being so low and in such a dark place. And I remember on Easter Lake Pathway, Easter Lake Park, just singing. And Lord, what a victory that brought to my heart. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. And Lord, no doubt there are some, maybe many in this room right now who just have real sufferings that they're going through, real difficulties that have come about because of the gospel, complexities that have come because of believing and following Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help them sing this morning. Sing by faith. Sing looking at Jesus. And Lord, may you grasp a hold of big victories in their life right now. Lord, I pray for those who need to be saved, that they would be born again, that they would sing for the first time as a Christian and Lord, I pray for Christians that they would just sing and get these unbelievable breakthroughs all for your glory, God. So help us lift up our voices and may you get the victory, God, in Christ's name.